0: For your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, September 29th, 2015. Going into the month of September, all of the uh, the end-of-the-world Shmita, Four-Blood Moons, CERN prognosticators were telling us that we would always remember September of 2015. It's such a yawner, I don't think anyone's going to remember it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, slow, slow, slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to open up our Bibles, use sound biblical exegesis, good hermeneutics, a Christ-centered approach to Scripture. Yeah, you're not the center of Scripture. And I uh, made a point about this yesterday on social media. I think a, a lot of people today, especially in the seeker-driven movement, have turned the Bible into the theological equivalent of a selfie stick. And this is not how to read God's Word, to read yourself into it. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, But that's like only one of the major problems happening today uh, when it comes to handling God's word. And the idea here is by listening to Fighting for the Faith, you're going to begin to understand kind of the basics of good, sound biblical hermeneutics. You're going to understand what scripture really is about. Actually, who it's really about, it's about Jesus. And this will protect you from a lot of the false doctrine that's being uh, published By the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles, and uh, apostolixes. I mean, what would a female apostle be? Anyway, uh, you kind of get the idea here. And those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose curriculum we need to be studying instead of God's Word in our small group Bible studies. To see if it actually squares with what God's Word says, if they're actually teaching historic Orthodox Christianity. I'm not talking about Eastern Orthodox, the Orthodox in the sense of this is true as opposed to heretical or false. And by the way, kind of a little bit of a note, and I have to remind people of this from time to time, is just because somebody twists scripture doesn't necessarily mean they're a heretic. Um, they There may be false teachers, and heretics. And sometimes we need to make the distinction between them. A false teacher might be somebody who actually believes the Christian faith and does at times interject um, sound doctrine into their preaching or teaching, but they they mix it with uh, false teaching and a twisting of God's word. And the problem with that is, is that even if it's not rank heresy, Oftentimes, false teaching sets somebody on the path towards heresy. So, yeah, you you take the bait there, and then you end up, you know, far, far, far from the Christian faith. In fact, way outside of it. And so, that, that's kind of the idea here. We sometimes have to make the distinction between a false teacher and a heretic. There is a difference technically. Somebody might be heterodox, that doesn't make him a heretic. Uh, you know but all heretics are heterodox anyway, you get what i'm saying anyway so we try to make those distinctions from time to time but um today's episode of fighting for the faith let me just i'll, I'll kind of steer into it uh, and by the way yes we're in the middle of our fall bake sale we're we are trying to make budget and it's actually important that we do make budget. um if you've never considered if you have you let's put it this way if you've grown if you've benefited from Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio and have never supported us financially. This would be a good time for you to consider to see if you can sit down and work out uh, the $8.95 to see if it would work into our budget. Or if you would uh, you would like to purchase our t-shirt this year, which says, I survived the four blood moons and the Shemitah, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. You can see it at FightingForTheFaith.com. Go to FightingForTheFaith.com. Click on the bake sale link at the very top of the page. And uh, you can purchase your, uh, your bake sale item, uh, you know, their, your T-shirt, or you can get your conference audio from the 2015 uh, uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference. They're definitely beneficial for uh, for you to get a copy of that if you haven't already. And um, and then if you haven't already joined our crew, you know, that would be another great way to support us. And the reason for this uh, is because uh, we're we're we're, we're going to take a risk. And we're going to increase our annual expenses here at Fighting for the Faith. And we've increased them by, we've already done this, we've increased them by adding a part-time employee. uh, A part-time person who is uh, working with us to completely overhaul all of our websites. And we're going to be adding new features and and really the goal is to make our website a good resource, a better resource to better serve you with uh, warning you against false teaching and teaching you sound doctrine and the the basics of the Christian faith. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. And so, um, you know, like I said, we're going to be launching our new website. We're, we're shooting for Reformation Day, August uh, 31st of uh, this year. So keep an eye out for that. But, uh, you know, as a result of us t- incurring these new expenses, well, we need to Bring in more money in order to uh, support this in the long term. So if you've never considered uh, supporting Fighting for the Faith, um, this would be a great way to not only ensure that we can continue going, but also ensure that we can continue to afford uh, to you know, to make uh, what we do here at Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio even that m- much greater of a resource for you and for the Body of Christ, FightingForTheFaith.com. Click on the bake sale or click on the join our crew. You, you kind of get the idea. I, I'm making the pitch because uh, you know it's <laughs> one of those things. I'm thinking of. we. Are kind of in a uh, a situation. Where we must make budget. We haven't made it yet, but we must make it. But anyway, and uh, every year uh, our our listeners have always made sure that we are able to make budget. It's very nice that they do so, and want to thank you for doing that. Anyway, let's talk about what we're gonna do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We this is gonna be all over the map. That's the best way I can put it. And once again, I'm not even gonna talk about the uh, the, the the blood moons. I mean, it's it's done. Nothing happened yeah nothing happened so yeah that's all i need to say about this so uh what are we going to do today well we're going to start off with um (laughs) a prophetic holy orders network information you know actually i think i need to change that that's this uh let me change my notes here no that's not this should be nar yeah because we're going to go to ihop and uh, would you like to know what new apostolic reformation um music worship sounds like yeah, talk about mind-numbing. Uh, we're going to be listening to Misty Edwards of IHOP. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of this, but uh, we'll be playing a portion of it just to kind of get your feedback to see what you think about that as far as, um, you know, worship. Is it really worship? I Yeah, I don't know. And then we'll uh, switch gears. We're going to be doing a Heath Mooneyhan update, but Heath Mooneyhan is not the person we're going to be listening to. For very long, uh, we're going to listen to Heath Mooneyhan as he introduces a guest speaker there at Ignite Church. Uh, this is a guy from the Association of Related Churches. Have you ever heard of them? Association of Related Churches. If you've never heard of them, you're probably going to start hearing more about them. Is the best way of putting it. It's it's this is becoming, you know, a well a growing movement of seeker-driven church planting type networks guys and uh and they're responsible for actually uh helping to plant Ignite Church and give us <clears throat> Heath Mooneyhan and uh, and so we're going to listen to a portion of a sermon entitled The God of the Second Chances God of the Second Chances and see if you can note uh, what the problem with that sentence is, the God of the second chances. Is the gospel all about giving you or me a second chance? Is that really the good news? God is giving you a second chance? So uh, we'll uh, listen to that. And then we're going to do a um, an emergent church update uh, via the Verge Network. Yeah, the Verge Network. And, uh, and we're going to be listening to a portion of a presentation um well that basically tries to teach us what is the culture of the kingdom and uh, let me just ask you up front um do you believe that if somebody were to convert from hinduism to christianity all right let's let's say that you've became a missionary and you were sponsored by people to share the gospel to the people of India. And you traveled all the way to New Delhi and you're working in New Delhi and you're preaching the gospel and somebody who is a Hindu in India becomes a Christian. Should they leave Hinduism? Just think for a second whether or not they should. Now you say they're going, "Well, is this a trick question? I mean, Hinduism, they believe in many gods." Oh yeah, they do. Um and uh, but uh, should you leave Hinduism? Well, we're going to be listening to somebody from the Verge network, uh JS Shaw, um explain to us how if somebody is Hindu and becomes a Christian that they shouldn't leave Hinduism. Mhm. Yeah. yeah, and this is the kind of stuff we hear from emergent types this is talking about postmodern nonsense. Uh, the, you hear this type of stuff in uh, Brian McLaren's book, uh, Generous Orthodoxy. So I thought it'd be fascinating to pass this along. And then in hour number two, we're going to be uh, listening to a Priscilla Schreier sermon entitled Hearing the Voice of God. Hearing the Voice of God. And I picked this one in particular because you know he, here's kind of the idea you know the war room movie is out it's kind of running its course and um you know i i haven't seen it haven't seen it but um one of the things i am really troubled by is that priscilla shrier as a result of that movie well she's going to enjoy a a, a bump in uh, well people listening to her sermons and things like that and so we're going to be doing a priscilla shrier uh, sermon review uh, by So that we can warn people, yeah, no, you really don't want to be listening to Priscilla Schreier and let her teach you Christianity because she ain't teaching you uh, correct uh, Christianity at all. In fact, um, straight up, you know, this is a problem altogether and we'll kind of pull it apart in our sermon review. So that will be today's episode of fighting for the faith i strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable we have a lot of ground to cover since we're going to start off i made the switch it's not whole network prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update no it's not i had to change my notes this is actually an nar update well that requires us to do this
1: Chief, what do you want to do tonight
0: the same thing we do every
2: night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the brain, yes, Pinky and the brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. In laboratory mice, the gene has slice they The
1: Pinky, the Pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done,
0: right now uh, let me introduce you to a term if you've uh, if you're a longtime listener of fighting for the faith you may have heard me use this term before and the term is lex orendi lex credendi it's a latin phrase which means the law of prayer is the law of belief Uh and here's the idea what you sing what you pray ends up becoming what you believe this is one of the reasons why good hymns you know, good solid doctrinal hymns, uh, good theological songs—you know—that actually have some substance to them and teach the faith correctly—are um, important because what you sing ultimately becomes what you believe. What you pray becomes what you believe. Lex orendi, lex credendi. And by the way, by way of historical note, the uh, great heretic, arch heretic in the early church, Arius. Uh one of the things that he was known for was writing uh, little ditty praise songs that taught the Arian heresy and uh, it you know his little ditties became one of the vehicles by which that particular heresy was taken into the Christian church. So with the concept of lex orendi lex credendi kind of fresh in your mind, let me ask you this question. What will you believe singing this song you know lex rendi lex credendi this is misty edwards of ihop and a uh, major uh, cornerstone in the nar here we go So far, uh, talk about 711 praise song. Um, <clears throat> seven words repeated 11 times. I can hear the rhythm of the line of the drum of Judah. Anyway, um, yeah, I, <clears throat> again, the question is, singing a song like this and songs like it, what is it that you're going to believe, teach, and confess regarding Christianity? Uh, it, let's listen a little bit more. Are you ready?
1: Are you ready for this? <laughs> Tribal Judah. I can hear the rhythm of the lion of the tribe of Judah. I can hear the rhythm of the lion of the tribe of Judah. I can hear the rhythm of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, he's doing a new thing. So we're singing a new song.
0: So he's doing a new thing. Yeah, this is kind of uh, NAR uh, charismania talk. He's doing a new thing. This is in reference to, apparently, the present and you know current outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But in Scripture, when it talks about God doing a new thing, that's in reference to Christ and the gospel. You know, the, the former things that God did in leading his people out of, uh, ex- out of uh, slavery in Egypt, you know, in the Exodus. He's now doing a new thing and the new thing is pointing to Christ and what he's done for us in you know a god becoming incarnate the new thing is that god is going to become man that's the new thing but uh, not in the way that uh, you know when, when they when people like Misty Edwards talk about god's doing a new thing yeah they think it has to do with uh, liver shivers goosebumps and supposed manifestations of the spirit that's not at all uh, what doing a new thing is referred to in the uh, in the scriptures but we continue Now, it's true that Jesus didn't stay in the grave and he's not staying in heaven forever. Scripture's clear that, uh, you know, at the very end, God's going to make his dwelling with man. Read the end of the book of Revelation. New Jerusalem comes down to earth. Um, but the way she's singing these lyrics, it's almost as if, well, she's teaching some kind of a despising of uh, important, vital incarnation doctrines. Um, he's not a baby in a manger anymore. Well, that's true. We don't pray to the, uh, you know, 10 pound, 12 ounce baby Jesus, um, you know, Ricky Bobby style, but yet in the creed, we confess that he was born of the Virgin Mary and, um, and he's not a broken man on the cross. Actually, it's kind of fascinating. You look at the, uh. Appearance of one of the angels on the day of the resurrection, Matthew 28, verse 5. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus the crucified. Yeah, even after he's risen from the dead, the angel refers to Jesus as Jesus the crucified. And then you think of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul says to the church at Corinth, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, you know, in this weird mystical um, praise anthem, 7-Eleven anthem thing, yeah, we, we got some problems here. We got some major, major problems, but we continue. All right, enough of that. Okay, so um, he, yeah, he's not a baby in a manger anymore. Not a broken man on a cross. He's alive. Huh. Yeah. W- what do you think the purpose of a song like this is? I mean, I wouldn't exactly call this congregational singing. You know what I mean? Um, it's as in fact most of the people that I, I'm you know watching the video as this music is playing. I mean, they literally look like they are experiencing sensory overload and it's as if their mind has been beaten to a pulp and about the only thing they can do is kind of feel. You know what I'm saying? It's it's I don't see anything um, functionally different between this and like a rock concert at Burning Man. You know, Um, hmm. so what, what exactly do you end up believing with something like this? Um. Yeah, I just I I'll throw it out there, you know, just as a question. What is it that uh, you end up believing as a result of something like that? I think you get the idea. Moving along. Yeah, time for an Ignite Church and Heath Mooneyhan update.
3: I'm a supersonic guy I don't need pleasure I don't feel pain If you were to knock me down I'd simply get up again Cause I'm the urban
4: spaceman, baby I'm making out I'm all about
0: Yeah, that's right. I'm the urban spaceman. That's Neil Lyons. And that's our uh, Heath Mooney, Han and... Uh, Ignite Church Update Music. Now, what we're going to be listening to is a portion, not the entire thing, a portion of a sermon uh, delivered by Derek Neese of the Association of Related Churches. Associated of Related Churches. Now, if you've never heard about them before, well, you're going to hear more about them in the future is the best way I can put put it. And uh, we have Heath Mooneyhan who again sounds he's never really does sound like he's sober to me but uh he's going to be introducing derek and derek's going to be talking about the god of the second chances and that's not the gospel by the way folks the good news is not that jesus gives you a second chance we'll explain as we go but uh here's heath Mooneyhan to to ex- uh, introduce derek knees for us
4: here we go uh Today's just awesome. How about that? Um, today we get to hear um, from an incredible man of God. He's just a good friend of ours. He's been. He's a good friend of mine. He's a good friend of this church. Um, he is uh, from the association-related churches as well. I know they keep popping in. Um, they're like big brothers of this house, and so I'm just uh, thankful for him. But this guy's name is Derek Neese, and he's just an incredible pastor, a great man of God. And he, I, I appreciate leaders like him. You know, I, I always look for. Guys, like you know, some guys are just kind of unimpressive when you meet them, you know, and 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 then you meet their wife, and you're like, whoa, 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 how did that happen? You know, it's like so. So the guy obviously has some skills because, listen, out of everybody, he married a real life ballerina. Like, that's what she does for a living. Is like. She's like a bigger version of the snow globe people, you know. And this is incredible. It's incredible. And so he—he's got skills. That's what I say. Hey, so ignite. Would you help me in showing some love to Pastor Derek Neese?
5: Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you, Pastor Heath. As as Pastor Heath said, I am married to a ballerina, a real life ballerina, and. I'm the biggest advocate for small groups because that's how I met my wife. And I tell people that was, the, uh, that was the easiest phone number I've ever gotten. It was a sign-up sheet. So, <laughs> so no, but, um, but I'm honored to be here. As Pastor Heath said, I serve on the staff of the Association of Related Churches, the church p- planting organization that planted Ignite. Ignite was actually the 74th ARC church plant. So let's celebrate that today. So now we know the church planting network responsible for
0: unleashing Heath Mooneyhan on us.
5: And I also want to thank each and every one of you for your generosity. Um, we couldn't do what we do at ARC if it wasn't for you. Because a portion of what you give, because Pastor Heath and Kenzie set out from the beginning that they were going to be a church that reinvested into church planting just as they were, they, they, they decided that they were going to invest a portion of what you give into church planting. And we do that because we believe the local church is the hope of the world. We believe that and that 's why we yeah i don 't think that the uh, local churches
0: like ignite Church are the hope of the world. I think local churches the more local churches like ignite Church that exists, the less hope there is for the world because ignite church doesn 't actually proclaim the cross correctly doesn 't teach sound biblical doctrine and is one of these seeker driven vision casting leader type uh, churches, and they 're just fraught with all kinds of problems.
5: And they're not really making in-depth biblical disciples of Jesus. do every day. So you're not only a part of the Ignite family, you're a part of the Ark family together. Um, and together, last year alone, we planted 90 churches together because of what you gave. Yeah. We're able to plant 90 new churches and give away four million, over, over $4 million away to church plants. So it costs money to get these churches off the ground, and and we thank you for investing into Ignite and investing into church planting. Um, As Pastor Heath said, married to my beautiful wife Amanda, and uh, she was unable to make it. She's actually in Chicago visiting some family this weekend and getting ready for their upcoming season. So she wasn't able to make it, but she sends her love um, and wishes she could have been here, but hopefully next time she'll be able to come with me. Um, I want to hop right into the message, and today I want to talk to you about second chances. Um, whenever I was praying and, and asking God what to speak on, it began to work on me. I was reading the one-year Bible that I read each day, and I read a portion of the Old Testament and New Testament, a psalm and a proverb, and... um Whenever I was reading it, it began to talk to me about second chances that I've had in my life and and how thankful I am for those second chances that God had. And I began to get on my heart that I think that some of us here today, myself included, need a second chance in in a particular area of our life. We need a second
0: chance in a particular area of our life. Is that really what the gospel is about? God giving us a second chance in an area of our life. Again, I've just... Have to keep asking the question. We're, we've asked a lot of questions so far today. Um, is that the gospel? L- let me put it this way. If I told you, listen, I've, I've got great news. God you know, knows that you've messed up. God knows that you've screwed up, and you've made a mess of your life. I mean, just look at what you've done. And uh, here's the good news. Jesus has died on the cross so that you can have a second chance. You get a total do-over. Now, don't mess this one up. Because, you know, he's the God of the second chances. Uh, Is that good news? You know, you've got a second chance to make it right? No, that's not good news, and that's not the gospel. Because you know what you're going to do with your second chance? You're going to mess that up too, and you're going to need a third. And then you'll need a fourth. And probably by about 1,597, you'll need, you know, 98, 99... See, even if God gave you an infinite number of second chances, you still would never get it right.
5: That's because we are by nature sinful. And so our message verse is going to be Psalm 103, and it's going to be verses 2 through 5. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but if you have your Bibles with me or your phone or whatever um, version you, you read from, flip to Psalm 103 with me and let's read together. It says, Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Underline that for me, church love and compassion.
0: Yeah. The phrase you should be underlining is the one that says he forgives all of your sins. Uh, the ESV and, and Psalm 103, uh, verse three says, who forgives all your iniquity. All of it. So the idea is this, is that uh, you, you want to know the important thing there? God has forgiven all of it. Yeah, every sin that you've committed and will commit. Yeah, there isn't a sin that Jesus hasn't bled and died for. Um, yeah, you know, from the sin that you were born uh, you know, guilty of, that's Adam and Eve's sin, which is imputed to you, to the last sin that you commit while taking your last breath. When you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, you know, even that sin has been bled and died for. You know, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Psalm 103, verse 2, verse 3 says, who forgives all your iniquity. Yeah, see, it's not that God's giving you a second chance. It's that God has forgiven you of all that you Have done and will done as a sinner. Now, uh, we're going to pause right there, and uh, we're going to take a first break, and we're going to come back to this. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard... On this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, Ask Pirate Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're going to continue with this uh, God of the Second Chances sermon. And then we'll be doing an Emergent Church update on Kingdom Cultures. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
2: All right, you putrid Sex of entrails, listen up. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news straight from the top. I, I I'm sorry, I mean bottom. What's the news from the boss? The good news, gentlemen, is that our soul quotas are up by about 50% this year alone. The bad news is that we have to try harder. We're getting awfully close to Armageddon, and it's everyone's responsibility to do their worst. As we all know, the major culprit responsible for our Western success is the continued decline of biblical intelligence amongst American evangelicals. They're just begging to be led astray by false doctrines. We barely have to try anymore. It's actually kind of depressing. Do you all remember how successful General Abraxas was with his son Stan still Yes! We would never have gotten away with a teaching like that 20 years ago. Yet, thanks to how mind numbingly illiterate people have become with their Bibles, it worked like a miracle. Miracles? <laughs> 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 uh, uh, my fellow miscreants, I apologize. Uh, Slip of the forked tongue. <clears throat> Now, where was I? Ah, yes. So now our orders are to come up with the dumbest, the lamest, and most ludicrous teachings to throw at these dullards and see what sticks. Anyone got any suggestions? We, uh, we could sell indulgences so that people could, uh, uh, get time off of purgatory. That's too 13th century, Agret. If you had spent even the slightest amount of effort in your demonic studies instead of trying to reinvent the selfie, you might have known that little historical fact. (laughs) toy anyone else uh how about praying the dead saints done it women could be pastors no 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 pastrix is already in the dictionary we can chalk that up as a victory maybe we should tell everyone that they're still under the mosaic law and that they must obey kosher laws and that they must not celebrate christmas and be Torah observant too Jewish. Come on, you worthless maggots! We've already done all these before! We need to be more creative! And by that, I mean less creative! How about swingers for Jesus? We've already done that one, you idiot! What about portals? Who, who said that? Uh, I did? Well, speak up, worm! What about heavenly portals above Jerusalem. This sounds eerily like the tithing gnome, and he wasn't that popular. No, 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 you wretchedness. Uh, these are portals only above Jerusalem, and heavenly blessings fall out of them uh, on the passersby. by a- and, and you'll need a map to find me. And where exactly will they procure this map? It'll come free with every purchase of a Microsoft Zoom. <laughs> Those years ago. Even the pet rock had better features. And that's bad. Even by our standards. Mm, that just sounds terrible. Okay, why would anybody go for that? <laughs> Who's next? Uh, they, there's a sound membrane. A sound membrane in the sky. that is bulging. It. It's starting to leak. You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. That's it. You mentioned this. That—that's all I got. Sorry. Well, that's by far the worst idea I've heard yet, and I'm satisfied. I'll just run these notes down the chain of command. Meeting is adjourned. <laughs>
0: listening to fighting for the faith could cause you to think that the gospel has a lot to do with being forgiven of all of your sins rather than being given a second chance big difference by the way just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208. And, of course, we're right in the middle of our bake sale in order to help us make budget. We need to make budget because we've added an employee and we're we upgrading our website, so this is a great way to support us. Go to Fighting for the Faith, click on the bake sale, get your I Survived the Four Blood Moons in the Shemitah, uh, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. T-shirt, you can do that. Uh, yeah, all these different ways to support us, and uh, hopefully you will uh, do so so that uh, we can make budget and continue to Do what we do and increase uh, the service that we offer here to the body of Christ. All right, we're going to continue now with uh, Derek Neese as he continues to tell us about the God of second chances. We continue.
5: And it says that he not only crowns us with love and compassion, he satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray, church. God, we pray for your presence in this place, God to do what only you can do, God. We ask, God, that you speak clearly through me and this message that you have for each and every one of us. God, I ask that we leave here differently than the way we came in because of our time with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. When I ask the question today, is there is there a moment in your life that you can think of that you think, man, if I if had another opportunity, I would have done that differently? Or maybe it's if if I if had another chance, a second chance i think i could have made things work out or i would have i would have treated that situation differently maybe for for some of us we look back and we wish we wouldn't have said some words that we said or maybe we look back and we wish we would have cared for someone or listened to someone more in our life or maybe some of us wish we would have seek guidance or help in a particular moment in our life and, and, and we didn't, or maybe we wish we would have given some things to God, maybe given our life to God when we had an opportunity, or maybe we did and we slipped away and we just wish we had a second chance with that. But whatever it is, I think we all can relate to needing a second chance. So I want each and every one of us to be kind of let God stir in our heart. What is that for us? Some of us it came to us immediately, some of us we have to think a little bit. About. So
0: we're supposed to have God stir in our heart the thing that we're supposed to want to have a second chance for. Why should I believe that God wants to stir something in my heart to motivate me or prompt me to look for something I need a second chance for?
5: Hmm. Every one of us have an area in our life that we're not perfect and we messed up. And so Webster defines the word second. Notice what he's done there. We have an area in our life. That
0: were not perfect. Area? Yeah, James makes it clear that if you've broken one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking all of them. And when you sin against the Lord, you don't sin in a compartment of your life. You know, my work life, my marriage life, my parenting life, my uh you, you name the you know my sports life no 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 see it, this is a way of not preaching god's law correctly and notice here if you don't understand the depravity and the magnitude of your sin you will never understand the gospel if you think that you're just somebody who makes mistakes in parts of your life, then you're going to believe the gospel is that God gives you second chances so that you can get those parts of your life together. And who's doing all of the work? You are. You don't need a crucified and risen savior for that. You just need you just need good advice and some good coaching, you know? <clears throat>
5: it defines the word second as the one that's after the first. And that doesn't sound very deep, but think about that. The one that's after the first. And so whenever we think about the Bible, there's a spiritual significance to the number two throughout the Bible. And every time it, 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 it reflects difference or division. And we think about the Bible in, in thinking about having two of something. If we have one of something, we have nothing to compare it with. It excuses all differences. But whenever we have two of something, they can be equal in all aspects, but there has to be a difference. There has to be something different about the second one. When we think about God's word, think about the beginning, Genesis. It says God created the earth and it lay in darkness. And and, and then God realized that he needed to create something new. He created light and he separated the darkness from the light. He called the darkness night and he called the light day. He made something different. We think about Adam and Eve and we think about Adam. God created Adam and then he realized it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He realized he needed to make a suitor for Adam. He made Eve, and immediately there was a difference. God made something new. And then we think about the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Himself, was perfect God and perfect man. We think about the Bible; it's divided for us into the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. God did something new. We think about the, ourselves and, and the two natures. There's the Son nature and the sin nature. We we'll think about salvation. It says in, in God's Word that. We're, we're, the old the sun nature and sin nature
0: I've never heard that one before
5: and there's a new us God creates a new us through salvation and through the cross we'll talk about that a little bit more later but my point is church that I think sometimes we make a mistake in our lives and we feel like things are over but the, no, no, they're called
0: sins sin they're called sins you know a mistake would be like you know, you, you 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 get one of those envelopes that has like, you know the uh, you know the adhesive thing on it. Now all I have to do is pull the tab, and you forget that you have that self adhesive envelope, and so you go to mail a letter, and then you 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 flip the envelope lid up, and you lick the adhesive tab, and your tongue sticks to it. I mean that's a mistake. That's not a sin, but see what he's talking about their sins. S-I-N, they are transgressions of God's law, God's holy law. They're not mistakes. They are sin. And why is it that he is talking about sin
5: in such a trivialized way? Hmm. good news is God's word tells us that life isn't like a game where we have one opportunity to win before it's over. Uh, The
0: Bible teaches us that life isn't like you only have one opportunity. How many opportunities do we get?
5: God has another opportunity for each and every one of us today. Say this with me, church, that God is bigger than our mistakes. God is bigger than our mistakes. God,
0: bigger than our mistakes. I mean, how big is that then?
5: You know, whenever I thought about second chances and, and um, you know, putting together this sermon, I, I was reminded of when ARC first began. And so some of you may know this, but Ark, the church planning organization, began because two... Pastors had it on their heart to plant local churches in different communities. One was Pastor Chris Hodges wanting to plant a church in Birmingham, Alabama. And the other one was Pastor Rick Bazette wanting to plant a church in Conway, Arkansas. And so that was great. They wanted to plant churches. There's one one problem. They didn't have any money to do it. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I wanted to do some things, but I didn't have any money to do it. And so they needed to get some finances. And so Pastor Greg Surratt in Charleston, South Carolina, they met with him, and he said, look, I have a heart for church planting. I feel like God uh, put this on my heart, and it's something I want to do. But he said, I'll invest in you up front and give you the money to start the church. I'll help you meet the budget, your budget for the first few months. He said, but you just have to promise me you'll invest it in the next church planner." And so they took that, and they said, man, we have that on our heart as well. We'll do that. We'll take you up on that. And so they go out and plant their churches. Both their churches are very successful. And they say, you know, hey... Let's create an organization to do that exactly that, to invest in the next guy. So whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll pour back in the money that was invested in us and this organization and start it, and we'll plant more churches. And so they formed the ark, and that's how ark began. But in the beginning days, Pastor Rick Gazette, who planted in Conway, Arkansas, he would go to the church early in the morning, and his wife, Michelle, would come a little later, and they had a little son named Hunter at the time. And so Pastor Rick would go early in the morning. Michelle would bring Hunter a little while later in the day, and she'd bring him to children's church. And they had children's church set up, and they were all excited about it. And and she'd drop Hunter off, and then she'd go to the service, and she'd come back to pick him up. And the first few days of coming back to pick Hunter up, she realized that he'd have a few extra of everything that the kids were getting that day. So if they were getting suckers at the end, Hunter would have two or three. And if they were getting a little bag of goodies or whatever, he'd get two or three of those. And so Michelle pulled Hunter aside after church and said, Hunter, why... Why are you getting special treatment? What's going on? Why, why are you being treated differently than any of the other kids? And he said, well, mom, it's simple. He said, whenever they start to hand stuff out, I just say, hey, I'm Pastor Rick's son. And so immediately they begin to give me more. He said, it just kind of happens. And so Michelle looked at him. and said, no, Hunter. She said, we don't do that. She said, you're no different than any of the other kids. You go in there and just, you know, don't act any differently. And she said, and you definitely don't tell anybody you're Pastor Rick's son. And so Hunter goes back and said, all right, mom. And so he goes back to children's church that next Sunday. And it just so happens there's a new girl serving in children's church. That was her area of the dream team she decided to serve in. And and so she says, she sees Hunter coming in the door and she goes over to him. She says, hey, he says, aren't you Pastor Rick's son? And he said, thanks for a second. He said, well, I thought I was, but my, my mom said I wasn't. <laughs> and so my point is, that was a joke? Oh, boy. I think sometimes, just like Hunter, we need to be reminded of some things. And and in order to understand God's second chance for us that he has, I think we have to be reminded of God's unconditional love for us. Whenever I think about unconditional love, I, I, I was reading the one-year Bible, like I told you whenever I was praying this message, and it happened to be in the book of Lamentations. And so what the book of Lamentations is, is it's a series of lamenting, poems of lamenting, and a lamenting is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And so what we find in Lamentations 1 and 2 is the Jewish people, it's believed, Lamentations is believed to be written by the prophet Jeremiah. And so it's believed to be Jeremiah and the people lamenting. And just, that it's after the destruction of their land, destruction of Jerusalem at the hand of the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar II. And so they're just lamenting over what's happened. And so Jeremiah in particular, he was a prophet. He was appointed to be a counselor to King Zedekiah, the king of Judah. And so over time, he's been telling King Zedekiah what's going to come if they do not turn from their ways and follow the Lord and and follow God's voice and seek God. And so Jeremiah, it's close to his heart because he's been trying to speak this into Zedekiah and speak this into the Jewish people, and then the destruction happens. And he knows it could have been prevented. So in Lamentations 1 and 2... He's just laying it all out there. Man, this is, look what's happened, God. And then in Lamentations 3, where we're going to pick up, Lamentations 3, verse 22, Jeremiah begins to be reminded of God's unconditional love. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. There's that word, compassions again.
0: Now it is true that God is loving. God is love, and he is compassionate, merciful, and kind. And gracious God demonstrates his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins, so he he understands that god's love has something to do with the gospel, but is it really the gospel if it's a gospel of second chances because you screw it up the first time who does it who do you, who then is responsible for getting it right the second time you that means if you don't get it right the second time well. <laughs> There goes your second chance.
5: So the first point is God never ceases to love us. God never ceases to love us. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to understand because of what we hear in the world. And so there's two things out in the world right now in culture that is a lie that that we bought into. And I think we hear sometimes and kind of agree with or, or, or without realizing it just kind of put it on our heart is that the first thing is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. So if I, agree, if I don't agree with somebody, I can't be friends with them. Or the second thing is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. And both are not true with God or with, with our relationships. So basically God sees what we do and he sees our mistakes and he sees what we're doing and, and he doesn't necessarily agree with the actions or whatnot, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love us any more or less.
0: Uh, God sees our sin and God is just and holy and he must punish our sin. The wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but the eternal death of the second death described in, uh, in the book of Revelation. The second death is eternity in the lake of fire and in hell. And that is God who sends people to hell for their sins. But see, the thing is, is that God became man, was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. God laid on Christ our iniquities, all of our sins, not mistakes, sins. All, and Christ himself took upon himself and drunk to the dregs the full wrath and fury of God to propitiate God's wrath in our place and in our stead what this guy's describing is very different all of the hard edges have been shaved off the law is well it's it's it doesn't really matter yeah you you're, you you've made mistakes in portions of your life and god loves you but that doesn't mean that uh, you know and although you know he's not for your sin that doesn't mean that he doesn't love you you
5: know kind of i don't know what this is just as we should be that way just as god is we should be that way so we don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. We don't have to, to take part or necessarily agree with some, what, what someone does to love them. We just love unconditionally the same way that we're loved unconditionally by our God. So no matter what we've done, no matter what we will do, God never ceases to love us. That's the first thing Jeremiah was reminded of. The second thing is that God desires to bless us. God desires to bless us. Lamentations three twenty four through twenty five, Jeremiah says, I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I'll wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And so Romans eight twenty seven goes a little further and says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes for them. So Jeremiah is reminded, Hey, God wants to bless us. God wants to bless us in every area of our lives. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to understand. Because we see and look around us and we're, we're hoping for some blessings, and we haven't seen God respond yet yeah we
0: we just God he just wants to bless us yeah this is this is miserable you kind of get the point, yeah and here's the problem what ultimately is the problem here is that he is not rightly distinguishing law and gospel, and he's not preaching the gospel from the New Testament, which teaches us that Christ died for our sins. God just loves you, and he loves you so much that Jesus is making it possible for you to have a second chance. Good luck. Hope you get it right the second time. Because if you don't, you know, well, then you go to hell. Again, that's not the gospel. All right, we're going to move along here. And uh, since we're going to be doing an emergent church update, cause this, and you're thinking, why emergent church? Because this is the kind of stuff you hear from the postmodern emergent church. That requires us to do this. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern philharmonic orchestra conducted by Doug Paget. This is their rendition of Strauss's also Sprock Zarathustra. That's right. Kind of an homage to the nihilistic philosophy and ideology of Friedrich Nietzsche. As you can tell, they've um, abandoned the modernist definitions of notes, and they're just being led by the spirit here. Which is so much more authentic, so much more culturally relevant and real. This is avant garde music like we've never heard before. I really do hope that in the near future the postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra goes on tour. The world needs to be blessed by this new cutting-edge form of art. Right on. Now, what we're going to be listening to, we're going to head over to the Verge Network. This is a church planning network that dabbles in post-modernity. And we're going to be listening to an informational video about what is the culture of the kingdom. What is the culture... Of the kingdom, we're going to ask the question and answer the question: Can somebody who is um, a convert to Christianity from Hinduism can they remain a Hindu? Yeah, uh, well, that's what we're going to be listening to. But to set the stage and kind of set the table here, we first have to kind of get the idea what's going on with this idea of the culture of the kingdom. Uh, Here's the Verge Network
6: to explain. Western countries, we're used to thinking about religion as a choice of a personal system of beliefs. But in many countries, your religion is the box you tick on all official forms. It's written on your birth certificate. It defines what social community you come from, more than your actual beliefs. This is the way most of the world thinks about religion. It's the culture and background you come from. If you ask most of the world when they joined this or that religion, they will simply say that I was born into it. And this is the case not just with other religions, but also various Christian groups too, such as the Catholics, Orthodox, and even Lutherans who might say that they were born into that community. So, what was the religion or community that Jesus was born into? Jewish. Yes, Jesus was a Jew. How did he become Jewish? He was born into the Jewish community. And of Jesus' 12 disciples, how many were Jewish?
0: Now, is Jewish Judaism a culture or a religion, or both? The answer is both. But Judaism is a religion. And you think about Judaism, it has, you know, like, commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, you know, things like that. We continue.
6: Did all Jews believe in and follow Jesus? No, not all Jews believed Jesus. But some did, and they became Jewish believers people who believed in Jesus but stayed Jewish. And these earliest Jewish followers of Jesus continued to celebrate their Jewish festivals like the Passover and the Day of Atonement, festivals that most Christians now don't even think about. So, we've got JB there for Jewish believer. But did Jesus insist that non-Jews convert to Judaism in order to follow him? Well, in Luke chapter 8, one example we see is that Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, who was not Jewish, and sent the legion of demons into a herd of pigs, which must have looked something like this. Now, after the man was healed, he wanted to follow Jesus and become a disciple. But what did Jesus say about that? He said, don't join us, but go back to your home and tell your people what I've done for you. See, Jesus was traveling with a band of Jews, and operating within Jewish culture. Basically, Jesus said, it is better you don't join us, because we're Jewish. And you would have to conform. It would be much better for you to go back to the community you were born into. So Jesus had a chance to convert this man to be Jewish, but he didn't. In the New Testament, we see that Jewish believers often thought one had to be Jewish to follow a Jewish Messiah. But many passages give us insight that Jesus was not encouraging this. Now, at the time there was also another major culture, and that was the Greeks. And the Jews were having problems with the Greeks, because there's a natural human tendency to think that my group is better than all the other ones. So the Jewish believers were telling the Greeks that to follow Jesus, you need to become Jewish. And there were indeed some who followed this path. For example, you might have heard about Nicholas from Acts 6. Nicholas converted first to Judaism and then became a follower of Jesus. He took the longer and more difficult path to faith in Christ which involved converting first to Judaism. But how do you think the Greeks felt about that? It's a hard path, and no small thing to ask someone to change their culture and community like that. And so there was a lot of tension and confusion between the Hebrew Jews, the Greek Jews, the Apostles, the believers who were Pharisees, and even some like Cornelius, who were God-fearing Gentiles, stuck in the middle. Finally, the Jerusalem Council was held to solve this tension, The conclusion is summarized in Acts 15, 19. Yeah,
0: actually, the Jerusalem Council met. You can find this in the book of Acts. Let's take a look at it real quick. There's a reason why the Jerusalem Council met, and it wasn't to, you know, kind of hammer out the cultural differences. Here's what the problem was this was a theological problem in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea. And they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Mm-hmm. This was a theological, not a cultural problem. They were not rightly understanding the theology of the Old Testament in the types and shadows. So notice what this guy has done is he's recast the council uh, you know, in Jerusalem from Acts 15 from a theological question
6: to a cultural one. Where the early church leaders wrote a letter saying, Let's not make it difficult for others to turn to God. Just repent, believe in Jesus, don't be immoral, and don't do things associated with idolatry. Which basically means you don't need to be Jewish to follow Jesus.
0: Uh huh. So, and Jewish is defined as a cultural phenomena thing. So, now the question comes up, and I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. What if you're Hindu? you know, you're actually worshipping you know a bunch of different gods in India. Do you need to abandon Hinduism to become a Christian? Well, if Hinduism is defined as a culture, not a religion, well, let's see what happens. Here we go.
6: ...doesn't force them to become Jewish, but has the ability to transform many aspects of their culture to be Christ-centered. So, let's go on now. What are some of the major religious communities in the world? Hindu, Buddhist, and Muslim. Now, let's say a Hindu person comes to believe in Jesus. Which group should they join? You see, it's not so easy.
0: Uh, A Hindu who becomes a Christian should join a church that proclaims Christ and him crucified for our sins, and isn't heretical.
6: Logically, a Hindu might think, well, Jesus is my guru. And Jesus was a Jew. So maybe I should join this group. Uh,
0: (laughs) Why would a Hindu person who's been taught the gospel and taught to trust in Christ say, well, Jesus was a Jew, uh, Jew, so I should become a Jew? What?
6: But joining that group means all kinds of new rules, including uh, that I have to be circumcised, and I really don't want that to happen. (laughs) And for a couple of reasons, including because in India, circumcision also means you're becoming Muslim. So then maybe I should join one of these other groups. The big question is, if I choose to follow Jesus, then what community am I going to be a part of?
0: Uh, you're going to be a Christian, and you're going to go and be part of a worshipping community of Christians.
6: Perhaps it should depend on who is sharing the good news. Well, this is what happens. Quite often the person sharing the gospel is also unconsciously sharing their own culture. So if someone becomes a believer, they are often drawn to leave their community and join the community of the messenger. So quite often, it is the cultural background and community of the messenger that determines where, whether a new follower of Jesus becomes Protestant, or Catholic, or Orthodox. But usually this is not very wise. In 1 Corinthians seven seventeen to 24
0: So it would not be wise if a Protestant missionary was preaching the gospel to a Hindu, for them to become a protestant christian really why not why is that not wise
6: paul was writing that god made no mistake when he assigned us to a community or situation at birth paul encourages us to follow a general principle that is each one should remain in the situation they were in when god called them
0: um that's not referring to if you if you're an idolater you stay in idolatry (laughs) oh man that is awful. I mean, seriously, do you really think the Apostle Paul was saying, you know, and if you're, if you're a Greek idolater, stay in idolatry. You know, stay in the community of idolatry. That's not what he's saying at all. Unbelievable.
6: He writes that whether you were circumcised or uncircumcised, which in that day meant Jewish or Greek in Corinth, just stay in your community and believe. So suppose a Hindu person be-
0: yeah there's more to it than that uh the text by the way, is first Corinthians chapter seven, and he's quoting out of context verses seventeen through twenty four uh let me read it, and uh, you'll see that there's way more to this uh first corinthians seven seventeen only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him to and you're thinking only what and yeah it's, yeah you have to add the context. And the context here's what I'll do. Here's what First uh, Corinthians seven verse eight to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse ten to the married, I give this charge not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she but if she does, she should remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I not the Lord. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, then she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such a case, the brother or sister is not enslaved." God has called you to peace, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Verse 17, now we're to the the verse that he's ripped out of context. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him, this is my rule in all churches. Was anyone at the time of his uh, his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Uh Uh-huh. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him uh, not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord." Likewise, he was free when called as is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, you know, there let him remain with God. So notice he's not saying stay in a false religion. This guy is going to twist this, but we continue here. I mean, get ready, brace yourself. We're coming to the punchline.
6: Becomes a believer in Jesus. Which group should they join? Is it possible for them to just stay in their community also? Yes, and we could label this HB for Hindu believers.
0: Hindu believers. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you're hearing that right, folks.
6: New believers in Jesus who choose to stay in their own communities. So people who are Hindus have the option of just moving here, becoming 100% committed to following Jesus, but staying in their Hindu community.
0: How can you be 100% committed to following Jesus and be a Hindu? Hinduism is a religion, and a false one at that with all kinds of false gods and goddesses.
6: Some people might have a problem with this, because when they lead someone to faith in Jesus, they mean, become a Christian just like me. Whereas these new believers usually don't call themselves Christian, because that is a Greek or European term that Jesus didn't use, and it doesn't fit them. Many of these Hindu believers call themselves in Hindi, Hindu Yeshabaktas, which in English means Hindus who are devoted to Jesus. So they use a term like that to distinguish them from believers in multiple other Hindu gods. Now, what about the Muslim and Buddhist groups? The same principles apply. Sociologically, they can stay in their community.
0: So you can be a, a, a Muslim believer in Jesus. Islam is a false religion with a false god. How is that possible?
6: Theologically, they need to make big bridges to the biblical truths. For example, Islam recognizes their roots in key Old Testament characters, and they already believe that Jesus, who they call Isa, was a very special prophet. And so that gives them a head start in understanding how a Muslim can stay in their community and be a believer in Isa. Likewise, some Really?
0: You can be a Christian and pray towards Mecca five times a day?
6: Really? ...principles are similar to New Testament principles. And even Buddha taught about 500 years before Christ that there would be a great Lord of Mercies coming after him. These things give Buddhists a head start in building a bridge of understanding in how they can remain in the Buddhist community and follow Jesus, the Anointed One.
0: Man, yeah, folks, I mean... This is absolute nonsense. God calls us to come out and be separate from these false religions in the world. I mean, seriously, you cannot be a Christian and a Buddhist at the same time. You cannot be a Christian and a Muslim at the same time. You cannot be a Christian and a Hindu at the same time. Whoever taught these people this and taught them a lie, you will have no other gods before me. And the, I mean, oh man, I mean, what on earth is it that we're listening to here? I mean, I I, I don't even have words for it, but I mean, except for demonic and completely contrary to what Christ and the Lord God himself have revealed. Yeah, this is a mess. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back we've got a priscilla schreier sermon that we're going to be reviewing don't want to miss it stay tuned we'll be right back
4: Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs>
7: You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time, giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc. etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting, and simply managing from crisis to crisis, because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion, and information on a host of potential life altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the
0: Faith sermon review time. Get ready. We're going to be hearing Priscilla Schreier explaining to us how to hear the voice of God. And after hearing this, you're going to understand why it was never a good idea for her to be a movie star in the war room. She is not a sound biblical exegete. She is a very dangerous, dangerous twister of God's word. But let's do this right. we got the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're Equal Opportunity Sermon Reviewing Service. Today's sermon comes to us from Priscilla Schreier. You know, she makes the rounds. And the name of the sermon is Hearing the Voice of God. Yeah, have you ever heard the Bible likened to um, hand-me-down clothes? You know, second-hand revelation. <laughs> well, if you've never heard it discussed like that, well, then you're in for a treat because... That's exactly what Priscilla Schreier is going to do. She's going to liken Scripture, yeah, God's holy word, as, well, hand-me-down, second-hand revelation. Wish I was making that up, and uh, all I got to do is to say, sit down, strap on, put on your tinfoil pyramid hat, because we're on our way for a Bible-twisting ride, and it's not going to be good. So let me back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Priscilla Schreier and her sermon, Hearing the Voice of God. Here we go.
3: You know, um, feel free to take your seat. You know, uh, uh, in Matthew uh, 17, the three the three close-knit disciples to Jesus, Matthew, or uh, uh, James... And John and, and Peter, they were they were with Jesus, and they had this encounter with Jesus, where Jesus was transfigured before them. He revealed some of his glory, like took a little bit of his jacket off so that his glory shone through, and they saw it. And in that holy moment of being in the presence of God, just like we have been in the presence of God. Yeah. God the Father bursts through the heavens. He speaks in that moment when their eyes were opened and they were stunned in disbelief as they saw the very glory of Jesus Christ revealed right before their eyes. God the Father speaks. And of all the things he could have chosen to say in this holy moment before Peter, James, and John, he says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He didn't say talk to him. He didn't say inquire of him. He didn't even say serve him. He said listen to him. And I just wonder tonight in this holy moment as he has kind of took a little little bit of his jacket off and we have beheld his glory and the presence of God is here. You know, there are those times where you know God's presence is there. There are those other times like we have tonight where you can feel the presence of God. I'm talking about where the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Where your physical body responds to the presence of God in the house, and of all the things that we could do, and all the ways that we could most honor God in a moment like that, it's to listen to Him, to open up our ears and hear what the Spirit wants to say to the church. And so I believe that in this holy moment tonight, that if we'll all lean in,
0: uh, so to hear, yeah, apparently via direct revelation, hear directly from God, not through His Word but directly
3: he'll speak to us tonight through his word. In fact, I want to talk to you tonight about that very real discipline in the Christian faith. And that is opening our spiritual ears to hear the voice of God, that it's one of the privileges you all
0: opening our spiritual ears. What does that even mean
3: that we have in our relationship with him? No other so-called God little G is alive. Anybody that worships any other so-called God, they can go to a museum and visit his body. They can go and see a statue up on a hill. But I'm so glad that when I was able to visit Israel and I walked to the place where they believed his body was laid, there's a sign on the door that says he is not here. He is not here. I can't tell you how glad I was that there was nothing for me to see. That our God is alive and he lives so that we can hear His voice, so that we can have relationship with Him, so that we He
0: lives, so that we can hear His voice. Biblical text for that, please.
3: Speaks, we as believers can hear the voice of God. And
0: now, all you got to do is open up your Bible and read it.
3: To leave tonight, knowing that. Not only does he care about all of the details of your life, the things you're trying to make decisions on right now, you're wondering what's God's will for your life. I think the reason why he's come to us in such fullness this evening, why he's revealed a bit of his glory to us is so that more than anything, you will be able to begin to hear and discern the voice of God in your regular...
0: He's revealed some of his glory to us? So you were likening the worship experience to the Mount of Transfiguration. Really?
3: everyday life so that somebody's gonna walk out of here knowing what God's will is for their life. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have allowed us the privilege as your children to hear your voice. Lord, would you now through this very simple practical message, would you teach us how to hear you? Teach us how to discern your leading in our lives, Lord. We, like Peter, James, and John, want to see his glory. And then we want to respond in obedience to your command to listen to him. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen. Amen. I have an older sister. Crystal's my older sister. And she was the first grandchild on either side of, of the family. For my grandparents, she was the first grandbaby. And so you know how it is, grandparents, with the first grandbaby. And so I remember when I was growing up that my grandmother on my father's side would gather up this big old box of stuff that she would get together to send for Crystal to Crystal for Christmas. And so this big old box of stuff would come. It had Crystal's name on it, it was tied with a big old bow. And I remember being a little girl and standing off to the side while Crystal would unwrap this box of stuff. And she'd open it up, and there'd be all these beautiful little things uh, that had been specially handpicked for her. Uh, you know, none of this stuff that that you know, skinny jeans or little tennis shoes. Uh, uh-uh. uh. We're talking about the big hoop skirts that little girl used, little girls used to wear, with the lace at the bottom, or the patent leather shoes, white and black. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The little socks with lace around the bottom of the socks. That's the stuff that was in this box for Crystal. And I re- and I know what my grandmother's intention was. Her intention was that she was going to send all these. In the bigger size and that all the subsequent tw- children could wear them as well. And so I'd even dig in with Crystal and I'd pull out all the stuff from the box and we'd ooh and awe ah over all of the gifts that had been specifically chosen in her size and with her name on it. And I celebrated those gifts. I didn't mind hand-me-downs because I knew at some point she was going to grow out all that stuff and it would all be mine. But I don't know what happened, but I must have just been a little bit older on one occasion because I very clearly remember that big old box coming with Crystal's name on it, all that stuff inside that had been specifically chosen in her size and with her specifically in mind. And I must have just been a little bit more mature on that year because I stood back and I remember I didn't feel good about it anymore. I remember not being particularly happy because even though I knew that I was going to get the hand-me-downs and the second-hand clothes, all of a sudden, for some reason, I had matured enough that that what I wanted was a box to come specifically for me. I, I wanted a box with my name on it. I wanted stuff inside that had been specifically chosen with me in mind. There ought to come a time in our relationship with Jesus Christ where hand-me-down revelation about God, spoon-fed to us from somebody else is no longer enough.
0: Uh huh. So there's the characterization of God's word. And preachers, by the way. Hand me down revelation, spoon fed to us. Uh huh. Yeah, that would be referring to, you know, hand me down revelation. That's not directly to you, that's just general revelation in the Bible. Spoon fed to you, that means by your pastor. Yeah, there's got to be a time when we're done with this hand-me-down revelation about general stuff about God. I want direct revelation with my name on it, and I don't want to be spoon-fed by my pastor. No, I want to, I want to have it directly, you know, zapped into my mind by God Himself. That's what she just did. She described Scripture as hand-me-down revelation, but God's Word says this about itself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I apologize, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is theonoustos, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. There you go. Every single good work that you can perform as a Christian, God's written word is going to prepare you for it. And Priscilla Schreier basically treating God's word as hand-me-down revelation shows that she's attacking God's word. And in attacking God's word, the people listening to her, they're going to think less of God's word and now seek for direct revelation from God and see it as, well more personal, if you would, and they're going to despise the hand-me-down revelation spoon-fed to them by their pastors Sunday after Sunday. This is demonic, and it's an attack against the very Word of God.
3: Where we celebrate the fact that God has given us leaders and teachers and speakers that help us to rightly discern the, the word of God. But but there ought to be an unsettledness in your spirit. Where at some point there,
0: there should be an unsettled where in scripture does it teach me I should be unsettled in my spirit about only having God's word?
3: Say, so you know what, I appreciate God's general word, but what I want is a box to come with my name on it. I want a specific word straight from God for me. I want to know what job he wants me to take. I want to know which person he wants me to marry. I want to know what part of the city he wants me to live on. I want God's specific word and revelation for me.
0: Yeah, and you're misunderstanding something there. And that's this, is that God basically has left the decision of what job you would like to do and who you would like to marry. He's left that up to you. That's under your recognizance and all he wants you to do is make your decision wisely and make your decision as a christian you don't marry somebody who is an unbeliever yeah you know things like that you don't so make your decision wisely certain people are out of the question um certain people are within you know within the will of god in the general sense because they're believers they you know they attend church they they love the lord you know things like that um so pick You know, pick from among those whom God would have you pick, but the decision is yours. Just like God, you know, made Adam and Eve, and after he made Adam, Adam named the animals. God didn't name them. God did not name the animals. Adam did. That was his decision. They were named through an agent, if you would. We continue.
3: And the privilege that you and I have... It's to not be handicapped as believers to where we can only hear God's Word when somebody else is spoon-feeding it to us.
0: So if you're trusting your pastor to spoon-feed you the Word of God week after week, you're handicapped as a believer. Notice the word she's using. Again, this is a demonic attack against the sufficiency of Scripture. And it's a well-delivered one at that
3: where we because of the holy spirit that lives individually on the inside of each and every one of us where our spiritual ears are open and tuned in to hearing the voice of god
0: so if you're trusting you know in the sufficiency of scripture and being spoon-fed you're handicapped of course if you're hearing direct revelation from god well then you're superman yeah
3: Understand that the people that you and I admire in the faith, the folks that I so love to listen to teach or I read their books or I listen to them on the radio or they they feed me because of their own relationship with the Lord. We've got this bad y'all that that some kind of way we've begun to put them up on this pedestal and we feel like they've got a relationship with God that we're not privy to. Anybody ever felt like that other than me? that we just feel like they've got this special hotline connection with God where they're able to get revelation that we're not able to have access to. But but do you understand that the same Holy Spirit that lives in them is the exact same Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you and I? God doesn't play favorites, my friend. In fact, you are his favorite. And you have the privilege, I have the privilege to hear the voice of God.
0: Uh. Wow, oh, this is boy playing on ego too. Again, demonic attack against the sufficiency of Scripture, so that you will end up, you know, hearing from the demonic or your own your own psyche and think you're hearing from God. That's how I interpret what we're hearing here.
3: There is no better passage in Scripture that reminds us about this privilege that we have to individually, specifically hear the voice of God than in John chapter ten. In John chapter 10, I'm going to read to you the first five verses of John chapter 10. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 27. And I'm going to camp out in verse 27 because I just want to share with you four little simple principles about hearing the voice of God. Because I think if we can inscribe these on our heart, y'all, we're going to leave out of here knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. Never doubting again that we can hear God's leading in our lives. John chapter 10 verse 1 through 5 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who...
0: Yep, and we've covered this many times here at Fighting for the Faith. John chapter 10, Jesus is not talking about the devil. He's talking about false teachers. He's talking about the Pharisees. In order to get the context, you have to go all the way to the beginning of verse uh, chapter 9, verse 1 and read forward so that you can see what's going on, where Jesus heals the man who was born blind, and then how he was hauled before the the Jews and the Pharisees because he was healed, right? And uh, you have to get all that. So when we get to John 10, that's a continuation of the story that begins in John 9, and Jesus now is speaking against the Pharisees and the false teachers. They're the hirelings. They're the ones who've jumped the fence.
3: By the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him. The doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse four, when he puts forth all of his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger, they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of a stranger.
0: Now let's make something very clear here. The opening verses of chapter 10 that she's quoting from, this is a parable. Jesus is speaking parabolically, metaphorically, if you would. Let me read it. Truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheep Fold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This was something that the people of Israel were familiar with how shepherds did their business. And so that's the parable, that's the metaphor. And what she's doing is she's making the metaphor a literal thing and basically saying that what Jesus is saying here is that my sheep hear my voice in the sense of the parable that's going on here. And that means that they're going to receive direct revelation. That's not what Jesus is saying at all.
3: Verse 27, listen to this. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Listen to that one again, because it's one line, but it's packed with a whole bunch of good stuff we're going to dig into for a little while tonight.
0: Yeah, verse 27 also does not say that Jesus is saying that they're going to hear via direct revelation from him. That is not what that passage is saying at all. She's reading that into this text. We've got a big problem.
3: As my sheep, what they do is hear my voice. I know them, I know my sheep and they follow me. Now you and I, oftentimes when we read passages of scripture like this, we can miss out on some of the the juicy details that are unwrapped in in, uh, the specifics of of what Jesus might have been talking about because oftentimes Jesus would use terminology and context that we're not familiar with. He'd talk in terms of soil or grapes or wheat or sheep and we have no context for that. And so if you and I can just step back a little bit culturally, if we can just figure out what this... Context of the sheep and the shepherds relationship look like back in Jesus's day Then it's going to give us insight into exactly what our relationship looks like with Jesus Christ Even right now as we discern his leading in our lives There are four things that I'm going to point out to you in this passage The fact that we are his sheep, that we can hear his voice, that he knows us and that we can follow him There are four things, a relationship, a result of that relationship a reason and a response to that relationship, the the relationship. He says, my sheep are the ones who hear my voice.
0: Now, that's fascinating that she's saying that because what is she doing? She's preaching in a church. She's a woman. God, the Holy Spirit has made it clear that this is not what a woman should be doing in church. Why isn't she hearing the voice of Jesus telling her to sit down and to be quiet? See what I'm saying here? We continue.
3: In the Middle Eastern sheepfold in Jesus' day, shepherding looked a little bit different like it might to, than it might today. Let's say there were 10 shepherds. Each of them could have upwards of 100 sheep in their fold. And they would tend their flock all throughout the day. And then when evening came, all 10 of these shepherds would take all of their flocks to one fold to stay for the night. The sheepfold was a broad, vast area of land, and it had um, a stone wall that went all the way around to enclose the fold. There was one entrance to the sheepfold, one opening to the sheepfold, and it did not have a gate. There was no door. It was just an opening. So all 10 of these shepherds with 100 apiece would take all of these sheep and would herd them into the sheepfold. And then of the 10 shepherds, 9 of them would go back into the city to stay for the night. One of them would stay behind and he would become what was called the porter for the sheepfold. In other words, he would be the door of the sheepfold. He would literally lay his body across the opening of the sheepfold and be the protector for the 1,000 sheep that were on the inside. He was the gate. He was the door. He would lay his body across the door, across the gate all night long so as to protect them from, from harm. And in the morning, the nine shepherds, they would return to claim their sheep. When they returned, the the porter that had stayed behind for the night, he would see the shepherd coming from the distance and he would recognize this shepherd as one of the true shepherd of one of these flocks on the inside. And only when he recognized the shepherd as a true shepherd of one of these flocks, he would remove his body from the opening of the sheepfold and let that shepherd pass in. And then listen, that shepherd would stand in the sheepfold and call his sheep. Of the 1,000 sheep that were in the sheepfold, only 100 belonged to him. He would call his sheep and his sheep knew his voice. What mattered was not whether or not they were black sheep or white sheep. It didn't matter whether they were tall sheep or short sheep. It didn't matter if they were cheap sheep or highly priced sheep. It didn't matter if they congregated with a little bit of sheep or congregated with a lot of sheep. All that mattered was who they belonged to. I want to ask you a question tonight, right on the onset of the message. And then I'm going to ask you again at the end. Do you belong to the shepherd? If you want to hear the voice of God, you've got to be in relationship with him. And you do know there is only one way to have a relationship with God. And that is through Jesus Christ. And when you and I place faith in Jesus Christ, we belong to him. We are part of
0: notice. It's all up to you. This is
3: synergism,
0: not monergism. This is, at best, semi-Pelagianism, which is a heresy. It's not what Scripture teaches. we got a problem here, and a big one.
3: Family of God, and we have the privilege to be able to hear and respond to the voice of God. There are so many people that are telling us now in our day and age and in our culture that there are a myriad of different ways to have relationship with God and to hear the voice of God, but there is only one way, and it is through the man Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. Are you one of his sheep? You can be in the sheepfold and not be one of his.
0: Now notice here, um, now the question is going to, if you're not hearing direct revelation from Jesus, well, then you're probably not one of his sheep. You're probably not even saved. You're probably, well, somebody else's sheep and you're probably heading to hell. See, this now then makes it so direct revelation becomes the singular way in which you can know for sure you're a Christian. Because if you're not hearing directly from Jesus, apart from the written word of God, well, then you're probably not even saved and not even in a relationship with Jesus. Which is completely contrary to the gospel, by the way. See what this does?
3: 900 others that were also in the four walls of the fold. But there was only a handful of them that actually had relationship with the shepherd. Placing faith in Jesus Christ is more than just attending church and being in the four walls. It's more than just participating in ministry activities. It's more than just being a good person. All of those things are honorable. But relationship only comes by placing faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do, you are now his and you have the privilege to hear the voice of God. My family and I have our own secret language. You and your family do, too. I remember when I was growing up in church, I maybe, you know, I sang in the choir, uh, the children's choir at my church. And I would sit up in the choir. And after we did our little song, then we had to sit up there for the whole rest of the service, you know. And we're sitting behind the preacher and the announcements and all the other stuff that was taking place. And we'd start, you know, chewing gum and passing notes and poking each other and playing around up there in the, in the choir loft. And I remember that my mom, she sat second row, middle section the entire time I was growing up. And she didn't have to say anything to me. I would just look down at her and she would give me the mama eye. Anybody have a mama like mine? There was a whole story that unraveled with just one eye. Because we have our own little secret language. You have that too with your spouse, your kids. You can maybe look at them from afar. And there's a whole story that unfolds just with one word or with one facial expression. Maybe you and your girlfriend or you and your friend, y'all, y'all were hanging out somewhere and y'all had this little inside joke that happened because of some incident that occurred while y'all were together. And so now when you rehash that, other people can be around you and you guys can be laughing and joking and you can even try to explain it to the people who are nearby about how the reason why it was so funny and engaging and they'll sit there and go, I oh, don't, no, I don't get it. Cause they're not a part of the family. There's a secret language. There is an ability to hear the voice of God that comes.
0: Notice she's not actually exegeting. No, she's telling a story. And and that story is being woven into the biblical text. She didn't exegete it out. She is pulling a fast one. And she is not teaching what John 10 actually says. We continue.
3: You're a part of the family of God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 in the Amplified Bible says this. Therefore, you are no longer exiles.
0: Out- yeah, the Amplified, by the way, you want to stay away from that thing like the plague.
3: Migrants, aliens excluded from the rights of citizens. But you now share citizenship with the saints. God's own people consecrated and set apart for himself. You belong to God's own household. You are part of the family of God. When you place faith in Jesus Christ, you now have access to every single one of the rights and privileges that come with being a part of his family. It's a good deal to be a part of the family of God. You can hear the voice of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us that general revelation is available for every human being on the face of the earth. Saved or unsaved, uh, it says that the invisible attributes of God are declared through the visible creation.
0: Yeah, general revelation is the creation. Special revelation is the written word of God.
3: Looking at the stars, the moon, the sun, the mountains, the horizon, the oceans, the beauty of all that has been created, you have got to know there's got to be a God somewhere. Just because the the visible creation speaks of the glory of our invisible God, right? Right. But if you're anything like me, you want more than general revelation. You appreciate general revelation. But what you want are some details. You want to know God's will for your life. You want him to give you direction. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that folks who are not spiritual, in other words, folks who are not Christians, they can't understand the the truths from God's spirit because they're not in relationship. It says that, that all that stuff will sound like complete foolishness to them. Hearing God's voice is impossible for someone who has not yet been born of the Spirit into the family of God. But when you're
0: in. She's reading that into the text. The text does not say that hearing the voice of God, you know, that's not what this text is saying at all.
3: Relationship with him, my sheep, you can hear his voice. Uh, when I was growing up, we didn't have, uh, we, we couldn't watch a lot of television when I was growing up. We could watch only one hour of television a week, excluding the weekends. During the week, the school week, we could only watch one hour of television. It was probably the same hour of television, I'm assuming, over here in New Zealand that you might have been watching television as well. Because in, in, uh, in the States, on Thursdays from 7 to 8 p.m., a Co- the Cosby Show came on. <laughs> and then A Different World. Do you remember A Different World? Did that? Yep. So those two programs came. That was the only hour we could watch television. In fact, we didn't even have access to a lot of television in our home. We had a couple of televisions, but we didn't have cable. We didn't have satellite. We didn't have all the stations um, even available to us in our house. So I remember when I uh, moved out and I was on my own and I was uh, getting ready to get married. So I moved into my, my very first real, real apartment. And the very first thing that I did was call the cable man. <laughs> get over here as fast as you can. And hook up whatever wires, whatever you need to do to get me some channels up in here. And I'll never forget that oh so glorious day when the cable man showed up and he went into my bedroom. He moved my arm wire out from behind, from um, from against the wall. He went behind the television and hooked up all the wires, the cords, whatever he attached to give me access to all the stations that were available. Then he put everything back in place, came back from around uh, the, the place where he was in the corner of my room. Gave me a remote control and said, press the guide button. I pressed the menu, the guide button, and I watched all these channel options that were now available to me. I was stunned. (laughs) All of those channels had always been available to me. They were there. The frequency for those stations were all there. I just didn't have the right hookup to pick up on them. Same thing is true in your relationship with the Lord. God is always speaking, my friend. The fact that you can't hear him doesn't mean he's not speaking. It means means you don't have the right hookup. You're not tapped into divine frequency so that you're...
0: Yeah, John 10 doesn't say this. Uh, First Corinthians doesn't say this. There ain't no biblical text that says this. She tells a story that we all can relate to because we know from experience what she's talking about. The problem is she's not actually here teaching biblical truth. God's always talking. We just don't have the right hookups. Wow, this is
3: dangerous. Can pick up on hearing the voice of God. You have spiritual, you have physical senses. I have physical senses. We can smell and we can see and we can hear, we can taste. We can uh, have physical senses with which we respond to and connect with the physical world. Do you know you have spiritual senses as well? That you have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. In fact, in the scriptures, when it says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church, not referring to physical ears. It's your spiritual ears. It's the hookup that you get, the connection that you get.
0: Everything she's taken from the Bible has been ripped from context. She hasn't correctly exegeted a single text. This is the tool of the devil. This is how the devil operates. Okay, devil is the one who can quote scripture out of context. You don't believe me? Read Jesus' temptation of the devil in the wilderness. The second temptation, devil comes right back and misquotes scripture to Jesus to tempt him. Jesus sees right through it and quotes scripture right back at him. She's misquoting scripture the exact same way the devil does. Yep, this whole sermon is designed to make you feel less... About the written word of God, and think, oh, I'm I, if I'm one of Jesus' sheep, <laughs> the I and I'm not tuned into the right frequency, then you know there's something wrong. I've got to tune in the right frequency so that this will prove that I'm one of Jesus's sheep. And so now the direct revelation becomes the thing you're seeking after. And what's that written Bible? That's just spoon-fed general revelation. And yet the text when she talked about general revelation was general revelation is what we see in nature. Special revelation is the written word of God. This woman is deceitful and dangerous and a very gifted communicator.
3: When you place faith in Jesus Christ, once you do that, Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 and 14 says the Holy Spirit takes up residence on the inside of you and the Holy Spirit is the hookup. Now, I'm going to
0: make something very clear. She's quoting, you know, she's not even quoting, she's referencing Ephesians chapter 1, but Ephesians chapter 2 makes something very clear. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 makes it clear that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And verse 4 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him and God seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. She's putting. Notice all the all the pronouns, all the actions, all the you know, all the subjects of the verbs are you. You're doing the work. Yet Ephesians 2, 4, 5, and six makes it clear that God is the one who's raised you from the dead. God has seated you with Christ. God has done this to you. Here she's saying you're doing this to yourself. And then finally, you get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the hookup because of something you've done. I don't think so.
3: It is what allows you to tap in to divine frequency and hear the voice of God. It's all in relationship. He says, my sheep, there's the relationship. Hear my voice. There's the result of the relationship. Yeah, and where
0: can I go with certainty to hear Christ's voice? Yeah. I can go to the New Testament. That's where I go. You know those red letters in the Gospels? That's the voice of Jesus. It's not general revelation. That's special revelation. That's specific revelation. And that's where we go to hear Christ's voice.
3: Once you're in relationship with me, you should begin to anticipate the result of our relationship. He says the default position of anybody who's placed faith in Jesus Christ, who has made a decision to be in the family of God, who has then received the Holy Spirit of God as.
0: A- now, notice that, the, like, you've made the decision to be in the family of God. You know, I, I got to tell you, Donald Trump has a lot more money than I do. A ton, a, a lot, lot, lot more money than I do. I mean, can I make the decision to be in the Trump family? Can I make a decision to be his son? Um, and if I make the decision to be part of the Trump family, is he obliged to uh, you know write me into the Trump will? Of course not. yeah, the big problems with this theology on lots of levels
3: gift a sealing gift of their faith he says for anybody that 's one of my sheep, you ought to begin to expect the results of your relationship it 's automatic it 's the default position of your relationship with God.
0: Yeah, she's, again, adding to the scriptures. She's adding her own stuff to the scriptures. She's not actually even exegeting a biblical text. This is all just what she's making up and make it sounds so reasonable because, I mean, it's based on things we all understand, but it's not actually biblical doctrine or theology.
3: It's the default position of your relationship with God. What his sheep do is hear his voice. It's what they do. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorites uh, to read and to to, uh, just kind of uh, ponder some of his thoughts. And he said, uh, the one who does not expect that God will speak will discount every single time God does speak. They'll say it was just their opinion or it was just a coincidence or it was just their own idea. Every single time God speaks, unless you have an anticipation, an eagerness, an expectation that you.
0: Yeah, uh, Tozer is not, you know, a biblical author. Sorry
3: hear the voice of God. Every single time God shows up in your life, you're going to discount it or ignore it or neglect it as something else other than the voice of God. John 10 27 teaches us that the result of our relationship is that we ought to know we can hear the voice of God. Deuteronomy 30 he said the word of God. Yeah again,
0: implications are if you're not hearing direct revelation from God, then you're not one of his sheep. You must not even be a Christian. Right? Hard, you're saved by your hearing from
3: God. So um, difficult to attain that you've got to send somebody else over the sea to find it for you or under the earth to find it for you. He says, The Word of God, it's in your own heart, it's right there. God's voice for the sheep is able to be heard. The result of your relationship is that you can hear the voice of God when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost or a wind or a fire or a dove. He's often symbolized by those things, but that ain't who he is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Not third because he's least in value. Just third because he's the last to be revealed to us in the pages of scripture. But all of the fullness, all of the glory, all of the greatness, all of the grandeur, all of the power of God the Father is in the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, that means all of the power, all of the greatness, all of the grandeur, all of the authority of God, the father is on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside your human spirit and all things become new at the core of you. Your spirit is brand spanking new, but there's still a problem. Your spirit is in your body. In your flesh Have you ever experienced the battle Between your flesh and your spirit Romans chapter 7 Paul said the things that I want to do right I just won't do right I'm trying to do right I want to do right But my hands won't cooperate with me My feet won't cooperate with me Uh, My eyes My my ears My body just seems to be warring Against the spirit of God within me Anybody know that battle other than me The Holy Spirit takes up residence We got a brother back there that knows the battle (laughs) truth be told, don't we all? We sense this warring on the inside of us when we know the right thing to do. We joyfully, like Paul says, concur with the law of God on the inner man. But there's a different law that seems to be at work in the members of our body. Here's the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news, y'all, about the Holy Spirit of God. He takes up residence on the inside of your spirit. And then he begins the sanctification process. Second Thessalonians chapter 113 says it's his job. Oh, this takes such a load off your shoulders. Listen, it's his job to conform you into the image of Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what this means. It means that he starts tinkering with your soul. He starts messing with you. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, your conscience. It's what you want, what you think, how you feel. He gets down down there uh, on the inside of you and he doesn't just regenerate your spirit. He doesn't just make you born again. What he starts to do is rest his mind on your dead rest his hand on your deadened mind, your deadened feelings, your deadened conscience. He shakes them awake from their spiritual slumber and he says, Come join me in honoring God. So he causes you to want stuff you never used to want. He causes you to think in a way you never used to think. You used to have ambitions to do that. But now all of a sudden, for some reason, you have ambitions to do this. You never thought you would like this, but now you do. You never thought you would want this, but now you do. You never thought that you would be with those girlfriends and feel uncomfortable because of the jokes that they're telling, the conversations they're having. You never thought that you would sit in a movie like that. You used to enjoy these kind of movies, but all of a sudden that movie is bothering you because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you messing with your soul.
0: Now, the Holy Spirit does convict us of sin. The Holy Spirit does sanctify us and conform us. Into the image of Christ, and the Holy Spirit through the Word does create in us new affections as Christians. That's different, though, than receiving direct revelation with your name on it and despising secondhand revelation spoon fed to us by our pastors.
3: The Holy Spirit will speak to you and then he will turn your conscience, turn your mind, your will and emotions until it begins to line up with the voice, the will of God for your life. So do you know why you don't have to worry about God's will? Because sometimes, honestly, let's be honest, we're we're afraid for God to actually tell us what he wants us to do. Because when we said, Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do in my life. Lord, I want to go wherever you want me to go. We didn't mean, Lord, send me to the backwoods of Nairobi, Africa. That, that's not what we meant. Mm-mm. We don't want to go to Siberia and be a missionary. We don't like cold weather. That's not where we want to go. So we're afraid that if we literally say, Lord, whatever you want, it will go against Our desires, and and very often it will because we still live in the flesh. We're still in a a sin-sick world. Our flesh will always um, need to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We won't be perfect until we see him face to face. But we can rest upon the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us. And right now, even in this moment, my friend, he is working on your soul, conforming your desires to match up with what God wants for you. Psalm 34, 14, he says, you just delight yourself in me. And I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. That does not mean he's going to give you what you want. It means he's going to actually give you his desires. So that by the time you get around to praying for what you want, you're just actually praying back to God the desires he put in your heart in the first place. So he can't help but answer because he's given you his own desires. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to conform you into his image. Conform you into his image. A part of your soul, and I'm just spending a few moments here. Y'all don't mind, do you? Okay. A part of your soul is your conscience. Every human being has a conscience. Your soul is your mind, will, emotions, and your conscience. Whether you're saved or unsaved, you have a conscience. You remember this is what your mama told you when you were a little girl or a teenager or a young man. If you go somewhere, my mom used to say to me, if you go somewhere and you end up with your friends and you just don't feel good about where you are, you don't have to know why you don't feel good about it. You don't have to see anything wrong with it. If something in you just says this ain't good, call me. I'll come pick you up. That's what she used to tell me. What she was saying to me is you've got a conscience. Trust your conscience. Here's the deal though, y'all. The conscience is not the voice of God. Because your conscience has been determined. The settings of your conscience have been determined by the way you were raised. By what you were taught. By the influences you had in your life. Your conscience could tell you something is right when the Bible actually says it's wrong. Your conscience could tell you something is wrong when the Bible says you have the freedom to do it. So your conscience is not the voice of God. But this is what happens. When the Holy Spirit steps on the inside of you. He uses, he says to your conscience, come over here and work with me in helping her to know the voice of God. Because that human already knows what that gut level conscience feels like. You know what your conscience feels like, right? When you've got that feeling on the inside of you that goes, "Mm, this ain't good. Or yeah, I should do this. It's just that inner feeling.
0: You are. Notice she's not really teaching the Bible. She's teaching experiences and drawing doctrines from them. This is not a biblical teaching. These are the musings, speculations, and dogmas drawn from her experiences, not the teaching and the revelation of what God's Word says.
3: Knows what, know what that feels like? It's like the microphone that's on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit grabs the microphone of your con- conscience and says, All right. Now, let me tell you what God's will is for your life. So now your conscience begins to steer you in the direction of God's will for your life. John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, because your conscience and my conscience is constantly being sanctified, it's not perfect. Thank the Lord that we have his word. Because his word are the, it's the boundaries into which God's word, specific word to us will fall. He'll never say anything to you or me that contradicts the book. We'll always know whether or not we're hearing God because it will fall within the boundaries of God's word to us. Do you know what we often wish? At least I do. Sometimes I read about the Old Testament. You know, they had a cloud in the middle of the day, a fire by night. They had donkeys speaking and stuff dreams and visions and prophets all over the place and sometimes you know that's what i want lord if you want me to move to that side of town what i need is for a dove to descend from the heavens at noon tomorrow and rest on my shoulder and if it rests on my left shoulder then i know you want me to move here but if it rests on my right shoulder then i know you want me to go over there lord i am waiting on a sign can i get one witness in the house What we think is that the folks in the Old Testament had it better than us because they had these physical, visible signs for God's direction. And while God surely, most surely, gives clear, visible direction even in our day and age, the mercy of confirmation is what I call it. When he will turn your circumstances or perform a miracle or do something visible to uh, confirm his word to you. We oftentimes desire what the folks in the Old Testament have, but listen, the people in the Old Testament wish they had what we have. The only reason they needed the signs and wonders is because they did not have the closed canon of scripture and the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's why you find the psalmist praying, please don't take your spirit from me. Because in the Old Testament, the spirit was only given to individuals for a specific task. And if they sinned or when that task was over, the spirit of God left them i got good news for you today, my friend, that once you receive the Holy Spirit of God, there is nothing that anybody else can do or that you can do for the Spirit of God to be removed from your life. That's good news.
0: Now, notice there are two sources of authority in Priscilla Schreier's theology, the closed canon of Scripture and God, the Holy Spirit speaking directly to you. We continue,
3: which means that in our day and age, we have the best possible way to hear the voice of God. We don't have some second rate option. We've got the best way, the the spirit of God and the word of God to lead us and guide us.
0: It's not sola scriptura. It's the spirit of God and the word of God. She said it very clearly right there. Scripture is not sufficient. Clearly, it's not, you know, it's not going to prepare you for every good work because you also need direct revelation from the Spirit. Yep, this is a formula for disaster.
3: And so, we got a relationship, His sheep. And the result of that relationship is that we ought to sit on the edge of our seat in anticipation of the fact that we can hear the voice of God. There's a relationship, there's a result, and then there is a reason for all of this. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and here's the reason, I know them. Now, I called up a friend of mine who works with sheep and cattle. Because, you know, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me or not, but I'm not really a sheep and cattle kind of girl. <laughs> So I called up this guy because he works with sheep and cattle. And I, you know, I wanted to ask his perspective on some of these details. And I asked him about this business of knowing the sheep. That verse says, I, the shepherd, know the sheep. So I wanted to ask him about this. Very interesting because he said to me, Priscilla, I've got a lot of sheep. But the the art, the technique of knowing the sheep has been lost over time. Because it used to be in Jesus' day, he told me, that that. That they would literally sit and spend hours upon hours, days upon days, weeks upon weeks, months and years just getting to know the sheep and allowing the sheep to get to know them. He says that's a lost art today because we don't we don't have time for that. We don't make time for it. Now we've got helicopters to herd our sheep. We've got sheep dogs. We've got electric fences. We don't need to have intimate relationship anymore in order to get our sheep to do what we need them to do. It's been a lost art over time. It's interesting to me that it's been a lost art over time because aren't you glad that the changes in time, the advances in technology hasn't changed our shepherd's desire to get to know us
0: again. She is not actually exegeting this text. I mean, it is just a ton of personal experience, personal anecdotal stories uh, things that she thinks are supposed to shed light on the text, when in reality, she is not exegeting it soundly, and she is, in fact, twisting it. We continue.
3: I want you to hear me. He knows you. In other words, you don't have to be a seminary graduate to hear the voice of God.
0: No. Yeah, and if you've been to seminary and you've been rightly taught uh, God's word in uh, sound biblical exegesis and hermeneutics, then you know that nowhere in Scripture are we told to expect as normative to hear the quote-unquote voice of God that's what scripture's for
3: to be a preacher to hear the voice of God you don't have to be the worship leader to hear the voice of God you don't have to be biblically astute to hear the voice of God of course all of those things are honorable but my friend he knows you he knows whether you're just a fledgling believer or whether you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. He knows how much scripture you're actually familiar with and 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 uh, what growth level, maturity level you're on in your relationship with the Lord. He knows if you're hard-headed like me and he needs to say a few things several times in order for you to get that it's him speaking. He knows you because you're one of his sheep. And do you know that this, this friend of mine told me that, that the shepherds in Jesus' day knew the sheep so well. I mean, if there were 100 of them, he knew them individually so well, and they knew him so personally that he could change the tone of his call just a little bit and call one sheep out of the flock. That's intimacy. The change in times has not changed our shepherd's desire to get to know us, but if we're not careful... The change in times is going to change our desire to get to know him.
0: Now, notice she's taken the parabolic part of uh, what Jesus was saying, and she's expanded it in a way that is, well, uh, not exactly the point of John 10. No, not at all. And she's made it the literal thing, if you would. There's a thing that's going on there in John 10, and Jesus is speaking against false teachers, and he is speaking in a parable, in a, in a metaphorical way. Let's go ahead and take a look at the text. I've been avoiding this uh, like the plague, but there's no way to avoid it anymore. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to deal with this text straight up. So, if you have your Bible, take a look at Gospel of John chapter 10. Now, I bemoan the fact that I'm not gonna go all the way into into chapter nine. You're gonna go need to go back and read chapter nine to get the full context. Where Jesus he- heals a man who was born blind, and gets himself into a tussle, if you would, poor guy who had been healed gets himself, you know, gets in all kinds of trouble, uh, you know, with the uh, the the Jews going after him, and uh, even going after his parents, and so we're going to pick up at the Gospel of uh, John chapter nine verse thirty-five, and he was actually put out; they cast him out uh, because, you know. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, we'll we'll go back just a little bit. Okay, we'll go to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter nine. We'll start at verse twenty-four and then move forward, and you'll see what's going on here. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and you can say born blind, said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. That would be Jesus. He answered, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I, that that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've already told you, and you would, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? and that sets them off and so it says they and so they reviled him saying you are his disciples but we are disciples of Moses we know that god has spoken to Moses but as for this man we don't know where he comes from and so the man answered him Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. So they cast him out that's right that's that's you you get punished uh, by the uh, pharisees if uh, jesus heals you anyway so now we pick up jesus now is going to talk to him and keep in mind the way jesus healed this man uh, he sent him to a pool to wash his eyes and so he came back seeing he's never seen jesus and jesus our compassionate and merciful lord hunts this man down and does something absolutely just beautiful John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, so that I might believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Yeah, that's right. He worships Jesus. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And Jesus flips this the, their theology right on their head. I mean, they they, they basically said, You know, this man, the reason why he was born blind is because he was just utterly, you know, wretched and sinful. And, of course, since they could see, they are not. But Jesus basically just takes that whole theology and smashes it. And he says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And now Jesus launches into a a monologue, an important monologue. And it's a continuation of what's going on in chapter 9. Amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, referring to whom? The Pharisees. That's right. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep it opens the sheep. hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they flee from him if they do not know the vo- uh, if uh, they for they do not know the voice of strangers this figure of speech notice verse 6 this figure of speech it's a figure of speech it's not the literal thing it's a figure of speech jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them verse 7 so so a jesus again said to them more going on here Amen, amen. Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Uh Does this sound like Jesus saying that he is the way of salvation? That's exactly what he's saying. The thief comes only to steal to kill and to destroy and that's the false teacher not the devil false teachers here i came that they might have life have it abundantly i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, that they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge... I have received from my father. See, Jesus is not talking about the importance of direct revelation. That's not what this passage is about. And uh, Priscilla Schreier, by making this about that, I mean, she is utterly, utterly messing up this text. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, and the Jews gathered around him and said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Now, in their particular case, notice here, they're not followers of Jesus. They are opposers and persecutors, and ultimately they're going to be the ones responsible for murdering Jesus. Right? And Jesus wasn't saying the reason they don't hear his voice is by that direct revelation is because they're not his sheep. That's not what he's saying at all. He's talking to them directly. He's using his physical voice in this text. And he says, I told you, you know, they asked, are you the Messiah or not? He says, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So notice, you know, her text My Sheep Hear My Voice, verse 27, she skipped 25, she skipped 26, she skipped 22, which gives you the context, which shows definitively she is utterly mangling this text and not teaching at all what Jesus was referring to when he said the things that he said in John 10.
3: The advances in modern technology, praise the Lord for them, but the busier we are, the further away we get from spending time getting to know the voice of the Lord. Getting to know who he is. A philosopher by the name of Sam Pasco said something that I want to read to you guys. He said, Christianity started out in Palestine, that's the land of the Bible, as a fellowship, a relationship. Then it moved to Greece and became a philosophy, a way you think. Then it moved to Rome and became an institution, a place you go. Then it moved to Europe and became a culture, a way of life. Then it moved to the rest of the world and became an enterprise, a business. Now it's just what we do. What if we took this back to what it was meant to be? A relationship. He died on the cross of Calvary, shed his blood not to just give you a ticket to eternity. If he would have just wanted us to be in heaven with him... That our relationship would have stopped there. And, And listen, that would have been enough for us to celebrate the rest of our lives. Goodness gracious, the fact that he gave us a ticket to eternity would have been enough for us to worship him all of our days. But if that might have been enough for us, it wasn't enough for him. He said, oh, no, I want to be with them every single day of their lives. So I am going to give them me in the person of the Holy Spirit so that I can walk with them and talk with them and have intimate fellowship with them. Do you think?
0: Uh, Really? Um, Yeah. Which biblical text says those uh, interesting platitudes that you're putting in the mouth of God? I don't recall a text that says those things.
3: Really think that he loved you enough to die for you, but then doesn't love you enough to talk to you? How can we... uh,
0: that's logic? That's not a direct revelation. God does talk to us. He speaks to us through the God breathed written word of God. All scripture is Theo Neustas. Yeah, boy, this oh, total train wreck.
3: We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ when there's no communication. How personal can it actually be? He died on the cross.
0: This is where she's taking her doctrine of personal relationship and imposing the implications of what that means on the biblical text rather than letting the biblical text form her theology.
3: He loved you and wanted to have a relationship with you. He knows you. The question is, do you know him? Do you know uh, – well, I've got a brother. His name is Anthony. His, his name is Anthony Jr., because my father's name is Anthony Sr. Folks call them both Tony sometimes, Tony Evans Sr. and Tony Evans Jr. My brother looks like my daddy. He walks like my daddy. He talks like my daddy. He looks like a little version of my daddy. I have seen my brother use this to his advantage on many occasions. Because I remember when we were in our teenage years, somebody would call the house for my dad. And because he sounded so much like my dad, he'd answer the phone and say hello. And the person thought they were talking to Tony Evans Sr. And so he would just sit there and listen and respond and get all the juicy details until the very end and then say, well, hang on, let me go get my daddy for you. (laughs) All of us really are in ministry and so we all are on airplanes a lot. And in Dallas, our our hub airline is American Airlines in Dallas. And so we have a lot of, particularly my father has a lot of miles that he's accumulated on American Airlines. So he's got like executive platinum status. There are a lot of perks that comes with come with that kind of status on American Airlines. So Anthony Junior walked up to the counter one day and showed his license. I mean it said Anthony Evans. (laughs) So they pulled up my father's file. Upgraded my brother to first class and treated him like royalty. (laughs) So he's fooled a lot of people. But I will tell you one person, they cannot fool. I have spent my life getting to know the two Anthonys. So when either one of them calls me in the first two seconds of the phone conversation, I know exactly which Anthony I'm talking to. And the reason why I know, even though they sound so similar... The reason why I know is because I've spent my life getting to know what their voice sounds like. You need to know that there is an enemy of your soul. Yes. This ain't a playground, y'all. This is a battlefield. There is an enemy that is trying to do everything he can to deceive you and to cause you to not know what God's will is for your life. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14, that he disguises himself like an angel of light. He doesn't come to you with a red jumpsuit on and a picture.
0: Yeah, that's probably the first passage of Scripture she's rightly handled in this sermon. Hmm.
3: You can say, hey, it's me! <laughs> he disguises himself so that he looks and sounds as close as he can, and his will for you sounds and looks as close as it can possibly be to God's will for you. So what we need is God to help us discern, not just between good and evil. We need him to help us discern between good... And almost good.
0: Yeah. 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 Which you're not doing here, which I am helping people do in this review.
3: The way we do that is by leaning into the voice of God, by getting to know the way He speaks, by getting to know.
0: Yeah, that would require you to actually read the written Word of God, not receive direct revelation
3: he handled situations just like the one we're in right now what did he say back then to other people what's his personality we get that in the scriptures
0: yeah you- that's right we get it in the scriptures and that's all we need
3: you have that friend when she calls you or he calls you the very fact that it is six thirty in the morning lets you know that it has got to be this particular friend because the only one that would have the nerve to call you at this ungodly hour has got to be that friend And when you answer the phone, they don't have to go into a big explanation of who they are and where y'all met and uh, how long you've been in a friendship together. You know them so well that just the way they're breathing on the phone lets you know that it's them. Because you've spent so much time getting to know them. The more you know God, the more clearly you can hear God. I am, and I said this this morning in Sunday worship services, I am completely stunned Completely So
0: notice what she said there. The more you know God, the more you clearly you hear God. That is apparently the more familiar you are with the Bible, the more you're going to get direct revelation from God. Wrong. No biblical text says this.
3: Beyond myself and beside myself that the God of the universe wants to get to know me. Yeah. That he cares enough about me to know my personality and where I am in my life and the journey that I'm on and the doubts that I may be having, the difficulties that I'm experiencing. And yet he still chooses to call me his friend and to have relationship with me. I'm stunned by the fact that he knows me. Do you get the fact that he is high and lifted up, but, but, but he chooses to be in relationship with us. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, always is, always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated and never undone. He was bruised but brought healing. He was pierced but eased pain. He was persecuted but brought freedom. He was dead and brings life. He has risen to bring power and he reigns to bring peace. The world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Leaders can't uh, discount him, and no one can explain him away. He is light. He is longevity, and he is the Lord. He is goodness and kindness and faithfulness, and he is... Yeah,
0: all all these things you're saying about Jesus are true. That doesn't mean what you were saying earlier is also true.
3: Uh, He is holy and righteous and powerful and pure. His ways are right. His will unchanging... His word is true and his mind is on us. I can't believe that a God that great would have his mind on little old me and you. There's a relationship, my sheep. There's a result to hear my voice. There's a reason, he says, because I know you. And a res- there is a response. The response is, they Follow me. They follow me. There's only one appropriate response when you hear the voice of God. Listen, delayed obedience is disobedience. (laughs) There's kind of not neutral ground once you hear the voice of God. You're either going to move forward in obedience or you're not. But any response... Other than obedience is an inappropriate response to the voice of God. He does not speak to be heard. He speaks to be obeyed. And the reason why he speaks is because.
0: So the only reason God speaks to us is to give us orders. Well, scripture gives us law and gospel. God speaks to us, not only his commandments. He also speaks to us, the good news of his forgiveness. won by Christ on the cross. For our not keeping his commandments.
3: He is like the control tower when an airplane takes off. The pilot does not just trust in their own visibility to guide the plane. They have constant connection with a control tower because the control tower has the capacity to see way beyond what it is that the pilot in their limited scope and limited perspective is able to see. So they stay in contact with the control tower because the control tower is able to keep them from disasters that they don't even know are possible because of their narrow viewpoint.
0: So, yeah, that's what you need direct revelation for so that God can be your control tower uh, navigator kind of guy. I mean, so all of this sounds just so plausible. It sounds so reasonable. But if it were really what we're supposed to believe, why can't she just open up biblical texts that say these things and read them out for us? The reason why is because this is a theology that has been crafted by human beings, not doctrines that are actually taught in Scripture. You want to learn how to hear the voice of God versus the voice of a deceiver? Pay attention to what God's word says. And when somebody is making God's word say things it doesn't say, you're not hearing the voice of the shepherd. You're hearing the voice of somebody else. We continue.
3: When God speaks to you, it's because he's the control tower. He sees stuff, your narrow viewpoint, my narrow viewpoint, cannot see. And when you respond in obedience, even though it doesn't make sense at the time, when you
0: respond in obedience, yeah. Again, apparently God's only telling you commands. Uh
3: In obedience, you have no idea the disasters that you've circumvented because you just just said yes, Lord, and responded in obedience to God. In Jesus's day, when the shepherd um, called his sheep, The sheep didn't debate with the shepherd. They didn't negotiate with the shepherd. They didn't ignore the shepherd. They just went where he led them. Why? Because they believed that he was a good shepherd. They believed that whatever pasture he was taking them to was better off than the one they were in. Even if the one they were in still had some green grass that they could gnaw on. There was still some fresh pools of water there that they could refresh their thirst on. It still looked to them like this pastor was just fine. But if the shepherd said, let's go, they believed that where he must be taking them was better off than where they were. So it didn't make sense. But the sheep would just follow because they believed they had a good shepherd. John chapter 10 says, he is your good shepherd. The book of Hebrews takes it a step further than that and says, he ain't just good. He is your great shepherd. That if you can't trust anybody else, you need to trust the leading of God in your life. No matter how big the decision is or what you sense God is telling you to do or how small and insignificant you think it might be. When God speaks, our response is to be obedient to what it is that God is telling us to do. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Y'all remember the late, great Michael Jackson, I'm sure. Y'all don't try to act holy. Y'all know Michael Jackson. (laughs) I was watching a documentary. There have been so many done on Michael Jackson. I was watching this documentary and the director of the Billie Jean video, y'all remember Billie Jean, the director of the video was being interviewed about his uh, direction and production of the Billie Jean video. He, they asked him what it was like to work with Michael and to talk about different scenes and different experiences shooting that video. And he said something really interesting. He said there's a particular scene in the Billie Jean video where Michael Jackson is walking up and down and dancing up and down this pathway. And every place that Michael would step would light up on the path. You remember that? The square would light up every time he stepped on it. He said this was a real interesting portion of the video to shoot because I had to pull the Michael Jackson aside and say, listen, Mike. We know you are a great dancer. We know you can dance all over this little pathway. In fact, we know you could dance all over this entire studio. You are amazing. We've got it. But you need to know that if you want this video to work right, I have already gone before you and pre-lit certain squares. And if you want this video to look the way we want it to look, then you're going to have to rein in all of your dancing and just step on the squares where I've already put the lights. Otherwise, all of your energy, all of your efforts are all going to be wasted because the path will not light up. So many times in my life and maybe even in yours, we're, we're expending all of this effort and energy, our gifts, our talents, our abilities. And we feel frustrated and overwhelmed because the path is not lighting up. Could it be because we've not taken time to turn aside? To the- yeah,
0: could it be that God is not uh, my director in my life movie and has not set up the uh, squares that are supposed to light up when I step on them? yeah, where is this doctrine taught in scripture, Priscilla
3: and say, "Would you please show me what you have already prelit? The Bible says he has already gone before you and prepared good works so that you might walk in them when you and I listen to the
0: yes, that's correct ephesians two ten does say that
3: of God, then we have the privilege to know what he 's already prelit. And then we can use the gifting of God. That-
0: uh, yeah, no, see, yeah. Listen, God's going to, if you're in Christ, you're going to do those good works. I mean, that's just how that's going to work. You don't need uh, God getting on the microphone and saying, yeah, uh, Roger Tango 6 this is uh, the Holy Spirit calling. And uh I want you to reset your course. You need to, uh, you know. Set a navigation course. Uh, Plotted at three one niner and uh, an altitude of twenty nine thousand feet. Yeah, th- that's you're not going to be able, It's not as if you're not going to be able to do the good works God has called you to do, and unless you're getting prompts from Him, like a you know control tower tower guy. Yeah, no, no scripture says that. If that Ephesians two ten mentions nothing about. Well, you can't do these good works until you're getting direct revelation from God
3: of God the energy that God has given each and every one of us to step on the squares that he's gone before us to light up then we'll see the again
0: illum- plausible sounding but not biblical
3: of the favor of God the illumination of the power of God the presence of God the peace of God in our path because we took time to hear the voice of God my sheep hear my voice I know them yeah, out of context. Follow me. I want you to bow your heads with me because I asked you a very, very important question at the beginning of the message. And I'm going to ask it to you again because we can't hear a message like this and, and not respond. To hear the voice of God, you got to be one of his sheep. And I just wonder if there might be anybody in the room after we've experienced such a profound encounter with the presence of God.
0: Uh, no, I don't feel like we've encountered God at all in your twisting of scripture. How could we?
3: Our worship, and now we have heard him speak to us so clearly about the privilege that we have to hear the voice of God. I just wonder if there might be any...
0: Yeah, since you didn't teach an actual biblical doctrine correctly or rightly handle a biblical text, we didn't hear the voice of God teaching us about the importance of hearing the voice of God. You are presumptuous here, Priscilla.
3: In the room who has never come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You want more than anything to know God's direction, his leading in your life. You want more than anything to hear and know the voice of God in your existence, but you're not in relationship with him. And you want to fix that right now. You don't want to go one more day without being able to have the Holy Spirit so that you can hear God's voice. If you have never placed faith in Jesus Christ, but you want to make that decision today, while every head is bowed and eyes are closed, would you just lift your hand and lift your eyes so that my eyes meet yours? And I know that's a decision that you need to make. Is there anybody? Is there anybody?
0: In- few sappy music, and wow, this is just heavy-handed and bad. Wow. Unbelievable. I, I'm just going to leave it right there. I think you get the point. That wasn't a biblical teaching. Uh, not at all, and the implications of it are, well, if you're not receiving direct revelation, you're probably not even saved, because that's apparently the true sign. Yeah, you're receiving direct revelation from God, because if you're not, well, then you're just not one of Jesus' sheep, and, well, if you were, you'd be hearing his voice. Yeah, that is not what the scripture says at all. What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash PyroChristian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at PyroChristian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all your sins. Amen.